Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox post game show presented by PointsBet. <laughs> Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk free bets up to two thousand dollars welcome into studio a of our chgo offices here in the west loop of chicago i'm sean anderson the host of the chgo white Sox podcast you can follow me on twitter at sean underscore w underscore anderson and alongside me is my good pal herb lawrence hello you can follow him on twitter at eckenwall 23 he's a chgo white Sox community leader and i love land and frame asking the first question right as we are about to start right as i'm about to start how do you guys do a podcast on this team? All right, that's Grabber talking. I don't know. I mean, we watched the game. about the Fernando Tatis trade. Yeah, um, we're just uh, lucky to have this job. Sean and I, and then Vinny when he comes in, and Steven, who is our producer, we have a good time. You know, the team sucks. People ask me all the time, like, <laughs> how do you do this for this shite team? And I say, you know what? The team sucks, but we don't suck, so... We have an enjoyable time, and the people in the comments, like our guy Clark is there. Thank you for joining us, Landon, too, and Connor Smith, who joins us right now. They make it really fun. We are going to have an enjoyable Friday night tonight, even though the White Sox did not have an enjoyable Friday night. Right. We're able to make up with it like uh, with people like Connor Smith, who says he watched What Lies Beneath on HBO Max instead, uh, which I appreciate. White Sox fans are going to still pay attention to what the White Sox did, but they're just not going to watch the game because it's too painful. I think we're called masochists, and we just take it to the next level and watch the full game. So the White Sox, by the way, uh, if you're you know, you want to know the White Sox lost today uh, to the Tigers five to three. I don't think many people are surprised by it. I might have been maybe a little bit surprised by it when the White Sox tied it up in the sixth uh, with an A.J. Pollock home run to make it three to three. But the White Sox not able to close out the lowly Tigers. The Sox fall to 76 and 75, one game away from being at 500 again. They're seven and a half back of the Guardians, who currently lead the Rangers in the uh, ninth inning. Six to three, the Tigers improve to fifty-eight and ninety-two. Is that the uh, White Sox Tom that we met the other day? And he says that seven hundred for Pulos after he had a six ninety-nine earlier in the game. No, I don't think that uh, that is the same White Sox Tom. I think if that was the same White Sox Tom, he would have uh, let but us know. Pulos and yeah, oh wow, he did. Off Phil Bickford, he hit the second home run of the night, and now he, oh my God, that's insane. All right, well, that should probably be the, be the, the news of this podcast because that's the third or fourth time in MLB history that a player has reached 700 home runs in a career. So thank you, White Sox Tom, for jumping in. Uh, age, uh, if you missed it, Albert Pujols came into today against the Dodgers uh, with 698 home runs. He hit a home run off Andrew Heaney, and then he just hit a home run off uh, Phil Bickford. So he is now the fourth member of the 700. 100th career uh, home run uh, club, joining Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, and Barry Bonds. Correct. That is a milestone achievement. Congratulations to Albert Pujols. Watched his whole career. I am a big-time fan of him. And him, kind of a little poetic, doing it in L.A. You know, the other side of town, not in Anaheim, but this time with the L.A. versus the L.A. Dodgers, who we played with last year. So it's a great thing for Albert Pujols to reach that milestone. He'll go down as one of the greatest hitters of all time. But I had a trivia question also, <laughs> just to take him down a peg, to see yeah, how for the sure. greatness that you guys witness as White Sox fans. While Albert Pujols has 700 home runs, and you saw Miguel Cabrera today for the Tigers, Jim Tomey is a Hall of Famer also, but Frank Thomas had a higher OPS than all of them. So Albert Pujols is an all-time great. Frank Thomas 
was a better hitter. Okay, so what you're saying is Albert Pujols is a stat stuffer. No, no. Albert Pujols is a uh, is a uh, what's it called? Uh, a uh, stat stuffer? Yeah, uh, a compiler. He's yeah, not compiler. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like people and especially younger people don't realize how great Frank Thomas was. Yeah. And while Albert Pujols should get his flowers today, he's awesome. Know that Frank Thomas was a better hitter. I don't know if he was a better hitter. He I would was. just I would say that Albert Pujols is the greatest right hand hitter I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life. I was too young for Frank Thomas. Must the you biggest your thing eyes. Must have. hurting. Uh, well, the <laughs> biggest thing hurting uh, the big hurt was his injury issues. And the thing that separates him and Albert is a thousand games, basically. And that's why Albert is here at seven hundred home runs and three thousand hits. That's probably I mean a, a club that Frank Thomas could have joined. He could have joined either three thousand hits, seven hundred home runs or both if he had more health but he obviously didn't I mean we even talk about 2005 34 games imagine if they had Frank Thomas for more than 34 games they might have won 100 plus games that year he had 34 games and 12 home runs like that's an insane stat line right there Frank Thomas is a one of the greatest hitters to ever grace baseball but if we're talking about true careers in baseball man Albert I mean there's 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 few who can actually beat the true I don't know gravity of what he did 3,000 plate appearances three uh, 700 home runs 3,000 hits like it's great not too many people are in that, that those clubs I tipped the cap but Frank's better all right hey you you picked Eckner all 23 not Eckner all 35 hey friend. the reason why is I looked way too much like Frank Thomas when I was a kid and as a contrarian <laughs> I was gonna go with the guy who was the second best I was not a Michael Jordan fan necessarily I looked at his great stats more of a Scotty Pippen guy I'm not necessarily a Frank Thomas guy, but I was a fan of Robin Ventura, so I'm going to go to the second guy, not the guy that gets all the shine. Right. Yeah, Frank Thomas is otherworldly how great he was. Instead of being a Robin Ventura guy, or instead of being a Michael Jordan guy, uh, you were a Robin Ventura guy. Instead of being an Aaron Robert, uh, or instead of being a Tom Brady guy, you were an Aaron Rodgers guy. Well, Aaron Rodgers it makes is sense. You're just picking. No, it just makes sense. You're just picking the guy that gets the less amount of shine. because yeah. uh, he's the worst player at that position. Aaron Rodgers number. is a better quarterback. Than uh, Tom we don't Brady. have to get into this. this. Is a baseball podcast, yes. Herb. Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about the White Sox game. The main thing that sticks out to me uh, was Lucas Giolito. I don't know if you had any faith when the White Sox tied it up in the sixth inning. A.J. Pollock did hit a home run off Eduardo Rodriguez. Maybe we talk about Eduardo Rodriguez here first, and then we'll get into Lucas Giolito because that might be a longer discussion. Then we'll link into uh, Vinny, uh, who will join us from Guaranteed Rate Field. But let's look at uh, Eduardo Rodriguez's pitch map here uh, just for the full game. And what Eduardo Rodriguez did a ton here was work east to west. You could see uh, working very into right-handed pitchers working out as well, not really going up and down. And that was a lot of the success that guys like Brady Singer has had. And I think it's just a left-hander trying to replicate that type of look that you get from a right-hander, but from the left-handed side. And Eduardo Rodriguez has been able to do this his entire career against the White Sox, whether he's in a Red Sox uniform, whether he's in a Tigers uniform. He's had a lot of success against the White Sox. Uh, I think he's had three starts this year, um, and his last two have been exactly like this. Um, Limiting damage, both quality starts. This is a guy that the Tigers went out, signed this offseason, and the White Sox will be seeing you know, year after year. And we've seen the White Sox kind of fall off Left-handed pitching a little bit here. The only guy really carrying that torch, A.J. Pollock, who, of course, ties this game up in the sixth. So what would you make of Eduardo Rodriguez today and what the Sox did against this left-handed pitcher? It's hard to quantify because I don't know where the Sox uh, try is. I don't know if they're actually trying. I mean, they've lost four games in a row. Um, The Detroit Tigers have beaten them now uh, another time on a Friday Friday night. 
um, last week. They beat him again. So I don't know if the White Sox are really trying. I mean, I know my guy Steven knows that one player in particular, the guy we named this uh, episode after, wasn't trying on a ground ball. And he said that Yohan Moncada was loafing on a ball that was hit pretty much what shortstop or third base. It was the first base towards second. And, yeah, he's just jogging the whole time and not even making it any question the defense is going to get him out. Yeah, and so I, you know, if you just look at the actual numbers, Eduardo Rodriguez pitched well. He pitched very well versus these White Sox. But I don't know if this team is giving effort, giving an actual um, 100% out there because they know that they're not going to go to the playoffs. And so they're just throwing their jocks out there and just taking their bats and then hoping the game gets over under three hours just like we are. So um, Eduardo Rodriguez, he pitched well, but he's going against a substandard team. Yeah, and really when you look at his sixth inning, that's where he kind of started to crumble. Uh, going third time through the order, he allowed four hits. Um, do we ha- Did I end up sending you the uh, second pitch map for Eduardo Rodriguez's sixth inning pitch map, or did I just send you the two? Basically, I, I didn't send it to you because it was – the, the pitch that he really got damaged on was the A.J. Pollock hit uh, that was a home run, and he basically left it up uh, and, and about belt high and in the zone. So if he got it out a little bit more, he might have continued that success. But again, that's baseball's a game of inches. He missed his spot by a couple inches, and A.J. Pollock was able to take him out. Uh, the main story here for the Sox, though, is, is I think Lucas Giolito. Um, the games really don't matter at this point. You're not mathematically eliminated just yet, but you're just watching on how guys respond. Clearly, Stevens annoyed by Yon Mancata. I mm-hmm. couldn't be more, but I couldn't be, I couldn't care less about no. it. I mean, he's on the team next year. Oh, yeah. It, it, maybe it's not as joyous as Ed Farmer would say, like, <laughs> he's on the team for next year. It's more like, hey, he's on the team for next year. But what I mean, I have, I don't want to waste my energy. Yon Mancata has not tried, and Yon Mancata usually doesn't try on infield hits he doesn't use that speed like I said he was a five tool player that is what we were promised and we have not seen that fifth tool in that speed that speed has basically fallen off a lot of the other tools have fallen off as well but I would say mainly speed has been the most notable has he made a couple errors yes but he's been typically a a solid fielder we've seen that power we've seen some contact I mean five for five games six for five or five for six games like there's been some times where you've seen that he's got a good eye here Mm -hmm. and there it's just the one thing that has never really clicked for me at the major league level is Yohan Moncada's speed. And I think a lot of it is because he doesn't try. There's not a lot of effort there. But for a guy like Lucas Giolito, I think the makeup might be pretty decent. I think that he does seemingly try. Yep. And you look at some of the numbers, like we talked about 155 innings this year coming into the game, and he had 156 strikeouts. So he's kind of you know even, I think, 9.9 uh, strikeouts per nine innings uh, for Lucas Giolito. So... Um, what do you make of Lucas? Because we're trying to figure out you know, who's on the team for next year. Lucas still in arbitration, and they kind of had that spaff over you know, 50K yep. uh, during the offseason. Is Lucas on this team for next year in your mind? Yeah, there's no way. I don't think the White Sox will trade Lucas. will be getting, what, pennies on the dollar. If they trade him now, they wouldn't get pure value for him if they were to move on from him. So they got to bring him back pretty much. And what you say about Yohan Moncada is 100% true. If anybody's going to be on the team next year, it's going to be him 100%. Firstly, because of the lacking numbers. Secondly, because of the high salary, unless the White Sox want to eat a lot of that $20 million that he's going to make next year, then he's going to be on the team for next year. But Lucas today, you saw early struggles, and then after the second inning, he gave up that home run to Scope, kind of got mad. 
And this reminds me early of the season where he would give up early runs and then just button it up and get the job done. So from the second inning on, Lucas looked really sharp. He only threw 90 pitches, and I think Steven and I were, and you were kind of wondering, like, can he come out for the seventh inning? You know, he was fresh. He only had 90 pitches. Slider was looking decent, but his changeup, mercy. That would play versus any single team because of the movement he had. The release looked like a 91-mile-per-hour fastball. It would just fall off the table under the strike zone for 80 miles per hour right under the uh, hitter's uh, eye or hitter's uh, bat. And, what, nine strikeouts today for Lucas Giolito? Mm -hmm. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Maybe a team like Cleveland wouldn't strike out as much, but they would have a really hard time with that changeup today. It was crisp. It was really good today. Yeah, let's look at the starting pitcher lines here. We can talk about our guy, Lucas Giolito. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, since we mentioned him, six innings, three earned runs, eight hits allowed, one walk, three Ks. And you look at Giolito on the other side, I mean, he gave up less hits, gave up the same amount of walks, struck out six more batters. You'd think that he had a, a more successful outing. Six innings for Lucas Giolito, three earned runs, six hits allowed, one walk, nine strikeouts. The velocity still not there, but... You know, I, I saw some people like really concerned about his velocity, um, like our, our guy Alex Rude, who was saying the White Sox should take him out after the third inning. But if you look at the actual average velocity today, it was around 91.4. Last outing, it was around 91.1. So he's still around where it was. I mean, it's a manageable velocity. I don't know if he's currently hurt still, um, but seemingly the changeup's still there. And he still has the ability to be effective. He still lets up a ton of hard hits, but I don't know if he is completely dead weight at this point. I still think that there is at least an average pitcher in there. I don't think you're going to see the ace again, but maybe you'll see a three starter, a four starter, and maybe necessarily it's not with the Sox. Maybe the Sox want to move on and, you know, other teams can use a third or fourth starter, especially if they believe in that changeup. Um, tonight, the changeup looked really good, but you've even mentioned it too. Like the changeup overall this year has really struggled. The slider coming into today had a positive seven run value. That's very bad. The changeup had a positive seven run value. His fastball surprisingly had a negative one run value, which is still about average. So he's been very below average this year. But when he has starts like this, it's still like, eh, there's the flashes in there. Yeah, I can see that Lucas Giolito, I think he can get up to the top level like he was in 2021. Uh, 2020, um, I think he can get there with an offseason with Ethan Katz. People realize that it didn't, he couldn't talk to Ethan Katz this whole offseason, not as a friend, not as anything, or at least he would violate some big time Major League Baseball rules because they had a lockout there. So Ethan Katz is part of the Chicago White Sox staff, and Lucas Giolito is the player representative for the Chicago White Sox. They couldn't talk. They couldn't get a plan together for the offseason. They couldn't execute a plan. You couldn't do the core velocity belt. They couldn't say, hey, okay, you don't need to do the 20 extra pounds for your lower body. We don't need that. We need this, that, and the other for you to be better pitcher. Now, starting in October, hopefully, he, Lucas gets a whole month of rest. November and December, maybe starting doing some side throws and such with Ethan Katz back in California. And then ramping up to February until he uh, goes to spring training. I think that Lucas Giolito with a full offseason with the guy can get back to where he needs to be because that changeup was vintage. It looked like the changeup he brought last year. And if with a combination of a 95, 96-mile-per-hour fastball elevated where he was tunneling those pitches, awesome. And then people have been talking. If he can't get that velocity back, 
Maybe you add a cutter. Maybe you add a two-seamer that just plays off of that four-seam fastball. Something else that gets off people's uh, that fastball off people's minds. Or he's been tinkering with a chain uh, curveball, but he's pretty much shelved that since the beginning of the year. Maybe he perfects that, but he does need another pitch if he can't get that velocity back to mid-90s because people are just sitting back and waiting for the other pitches if they're not going to be effective and crushing them. Yeah, and, I mean, you mentioned you know, the curveball. We saw Lance Lynn add the curveball to his repertoire, and it kind of boosted his uh, level, and it kind of saw the resurgence of him. So maybe being a pitcher with four pitches would help him. We've seen, we've seen him get by with two pitches, and I think you're right. If he wants to get by with two pitches, the changeup's still there. Yeah. It's just about adding that extra velocity. Right now there's about an 11-mile uh, difference between his fastball and changeup. If he's able to get that to about 14, I think batters would be extremely confused, and then you'd get a little bit later of swings or a little bit earlier of swings and just create a little bit more of that weak contact yeah. that you're looking for. Because even though Giolito had a, a good night tonight, I would label this, especially for Giolito, as a good night. Average exit velocity, he let up 94.7 seven miles per hour so when they were hitting them they were still hitting them hard so still able to square it up if you're giving them less time to react with that fastball just give them a little bit less milliseconds they might be a little bit more early a little bit more late creating that that worst contact and that's what Dylan's able to do right you know that's why Dylan's been able to take that surge is because he's got a 97 mile per hour fastball a 90 mile per hour slider and then an 83 mile per, or an 85 mile per hour curve and you have no idea where is it going to be how fast it's going to be and you know it, it's it's just tough to square up Lucas especially when he's leaving it over the middle um, that's where he's easy to square up I want to look at his pitch map here um, because you could see Eduardo Rodriguez when I showed that earlier he's kind of working east to west in and out to uh, left-handers and right-handers Lucas is working up and down which I don't mind because you know especially with guys with curveballs you want to throw fastballs high in the zone because then you want to get their eyesight going up and then it just completely falls out right Mm -hmm. that's what we want to do and I think he did a great job with the changeup you can see all that green down there especially below the belt that's where you want to be spotting that changeup the issue is and you could kind of see that like gap there uh, where the fastballs are, those forcing fastballs kind of in, in that upper zone. The issue is he's just not able to spot that top of the zone perfectly. He's able to spot that lower part of the zone, but he's not able to get that top of the zone exactly perfect. And guys, especially right-handers like Scope, they're going to eat that pitch up all day. And that's why Jonathan Scope has been such a great hitter against Lucas Giolito recently. So I just think that part of it is control. I think Lucas Giolito could possibly get by if he had a little bit better control at this 91. If he has that velocity increase, that helps him not be have to be like pinpoint accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in a tough spot here, but I do think with training, like you were saying, if he's working with Ethan Katz for a full offseason, we could see a little bit of a resurgent here from Gio next year to the point where he's usable. Because right now, he's usable against Detroit, but so is Davis Martin. Exactly. Every time you have Lucas Giolito going out to the bump, you're like, ugh, where are we going to get today? And then when he pitches poorly, like, well, that's we should be expecting that right now. So when he pitches well today, you know, at the beginning of the game, everybody's like, oh, here comes Lucas again. And then he finishes off the game with a strong effort. You're like, okay, that's glimpses. That changeup, we see it. You see, he threw one spiked curveball. After that, he shelved that shit. But you saw on that sheet where it's all those change-ups below the strike zone, Detroit hitters were just swinging right over it because they think it's a fastball low. And if he pairs that with a change-up a little bit faster, like you're saying, right now it's 11 miles per hour, get it up to 14 miles per hour, you're in between. You don't know what he's throwing right there, especially if it's coming out of the same slot. 
that's what he was doing when he was dominating 2020, dominating a little bit late in 2021. He was tunneling and he was getting those players off base. Now they're just like, cool, your fastball is 92. Let's see. Change up. You can't get over the plate. Awesome. We'll just wait until you get that fastball over the plate. I'm going to crush. Absolutely. Um, I do like the uh, contrast here in our comments. We have Edgardo, who says Mancata and Robert think they're still playing exhibition games. They have no feeling for the game or felling for the game, as Edgardo says it. And Abreu can't help them anymore. And then Eduardo says, I left in the top of the ninth inning knowing damn well nothing was going to happen. Score and Twitter notifications are off for this team. I'm numb to the pain. So I like Edgardo, who's not paying attention to the team because Robert's hurt. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably why he's quote unquote playing like it's an exhibition game and then Eduardo just being numb uh, which I think most Sox fans would say they are what my guy Les Grousing has to say the Leelia rant and hey you're the only person with a microphone for at least CHGO in the Sox locker room tonight was Vinny Duber so we are going to take a quick ad break and then join our guy Vinny Duber out at Guaranteed Rate Field this football season points bet is bringing you a better way to bet live on games which means before this ad's over you can place a live same game parlay bet you could bet on the next drive to be a touchdown and cash out your live second half over bet with points bet you have access to more live football markets than ever before and you can build the live same you can build the perfect live same game parlay by combining your favorite bets anytime during the game, including spreads, totals, player props, and more. You can choose the outcome of the next drive and next points with PointsBet's lightning bet. So whether you're on the couch or on the move, do it live on PointsBet. I went 2-0 today. I took Air Force to score 40-plus points at plus 125, and I took the Tigers' money line at plus 150. I'm a happy PointsBet camper. Cha-ching. That's a double ding right there. Uh, Plus money. We love plus money on CHGO bets, and we love PointsBet because they provide us with the best lines, whether it be MLB, college football, or NFL. So download the PointsBet app today and sign up with CHGO. Would sign up with the code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. And if you are a new user and you deposit $50 or more, you'll get a yearly CHGO membership, access to our CHGO Discord, and a free T-shirt from CHGO Locker. And uh, so download the CHGO, or download the points bet app today and use code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. And again, if you deposit $50 or more, you get access to all of our great CHGO content and merch. If you're somebody who has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner is our good friends over at Game Time. Yay. We got to see two White Sox games this week. And that was thanks to our friends over at Game Time. They got us in the door for the very, very low price. And it was that's because it was created by the fans for the fans. We have now taken advantage of Game Time's low, low prices three times now, twice yes. for the Sox and once for the Braves. Um, Game Time is the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. Um, you could have gone to Pavement last night. I saw that there was to- tickets on the floor for like $16 each. Oh, wow. Um, you can go and find whatever you want to entertain yourself because if the White Sox are dwindling down, maybe you can go to the CHGO tailgate um, and then go to the Bears game and use the Game Time app to get your Bears tickets for this Sunday. Um Real quick, I'll end the uh, game time app, and then I'll talk about the tailgate. Uh, You won't find better deals this season on Bears tickets because game time guarantees the lowest price. If you love CHGO, then you'll love game time. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description and join over 15 million people who have downloaded the game time app and scored the best seats to all your favorite events. Go to allchgo.com, too, if you want to buy tickets to our first ever CHGO tailgate. 
for the low, low price of $34, the sweet price of $34. You'll get all access to uh, food and beer. We have a great food truck that's coming. We're going to have a great DJ that's coming, and you're going to be able to mix and mingle with all of the CHGO employees that are going to be there. I think all of us but three will be there, so that should be very fun. I am a part of the three that won't be there, but, uh, you know, Herb's going to be there. I'll be there. You know, the good part of CHGO White Sox, at least. That's enough. In the studio, we'll be there. Uh, And you could hang out with them and and drink a couple beers and then uh, get, you know, loaded and walk over to the the social field. It's about a 15-minute walk from uh, Roosevelt, Michigan. So head out. Uh, check out uh, allchgo.com and buy your tickets to the CHGO tailgate uh, for the low price of $34. Let's go out to Guaranteed Rate Field and talk to the CHGO beat writer, Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. Hello, Vinny. Hey, fellas. How are you tonight? Doing well. Yeah, we're all right. You know, I'm excited for the weekend. What can I say? Uh, I don't know about you. What's the shirt uh, for today? Oh, just a festival I went to a few years back. Nothing, uh, Nothing terribly specific. Did Ghost play there? Uh, no, not that I know of. I think if they did, I probably would have recognized uh, the, the the guy with the face paint yesterday. Was it a face paint or a mask? I think it was a mask. Face paint. Right? That's a face paint. face paint. He does it every damn okay. show. Ridiculous. Right, well, and he's a regular, I, uh, regular uh, Gene Simmons, I guess. Yeah, he is. And I heard they had a uh, drone show today at the uh, guaranteed rate after the game. Uh, you, did you get to partake after you uh, did your duties in the uh, clubhouse? Absolutely not. I was talking to Lucas Giolito while the drone show was was happening. So, darn! It was the first ever. You missed out on a historic event at Guaranteed Rate Field. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about Lucas Giolito. Um, we're kind of interested in what this start may mean, if it means anything. Uh, how did Lucas react after tonight's start? Well, uh, he finally made an adjustment that worked. I think is what it comes down to. I mean, uh, he he credited you know kind of just doing. Something it's not even really easy to explain or, or anything, you know, mechanical or anything. He just kind of really focused in on one little thing and, and it and it turned his game around tonight because obviously he was getting hammered there in the first two innings. Uh, you know, the, the first pitch of the second inning, which was drilled for a home run. And then the second pitch of the se- of the second inning was hit, I think, even further, but it was foul, um, you know, and somewhere along the line there, I think uh, after maybe the first batter of the third inning, he said, he made an adjustment and it worked and he can't really explain why, but uh, you know, this is a guy who's been searching for that adjustment to turn things around all year long. And who knows if this is going to turn his season around. Obviously there's only a couple more starts left in it, but uh, you know, he, it, it very well turned his night around and it showed that man, all this work you've been doing well, at least in some small way it paid off. Uh, so, you know, I, I go, is this the kind of thing you've been trying to do all year? And he goes, yeah, I've been making adjustments in games, out of games, every which way you can possibly think of. And that not many of them have gone right. This one went right for him tonight, and it, it ended up having a pretty good start because of it. It's interesting. I mean, the the numbers look great. Six innings, three earned runs, uh, six hits, one walk, nine strikeouts for Lucas. Uh, but you mentioned it being after the third inning, and we saw in the fifth inning uh, Andrew Vaughn, Air Andrew, uh, jumping up and robbing uh, Javier Baez of that homer. Uh, you know, it was a first pitch fastball from Lucas. So probably wasn't, you know, anything that he was trying to spot, just probably trying to get into the zone. Uh, but at least what was the reaction from the clubhouse or maybe Lucas on Andrew Vaughn robbing that homer? Cause it was close to either being a homer or maybe a double, but uh, Andrew got up and, and got that one. 
Yeah, Lucas shouted him out in his post-game comments. He basically, you know, he, he thanked him for not having that stat line be any worse than it was already. So uh, a great defensive play in right field by Andrew Vaughn, uh, which is which is something we haven't been able to say a lot this year because of the way uh, that Andrew's played out there with the glove. But uh, you got to give credit where it's due, and he made a fantastic catch tonight. And I thought that you you said that Lucas found something in the third inning, and I think what he found is that changeup grip. Whatever he found, because it looked vintage Lucas Giolito, because the drop-off was great. The movement was awesome. And his three uh, uh, fingers, his pinky finger, middle finger, and then his ring finger were the only things are at the, uh, the release there. So it seemed like he had the, the movement of vintage Lucas. Is there anything that he said in the postgame that, that he feels like, okay, I can go forward from here, and then, yes, I didn't have a great year, but – ending these last couple starts with some positivity can take me into the offseason and maybe a, a better 2023. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Uh, you know, he he was very focused on on really ending on a positive note and called the offseason very important. I mean, we have uh, been talking to these guys the last few days as their playoff chances have kind of uh, dwindled down to next to nothing. And a lot of the response is, oh, well, we still got to play the last few games. And certainly Lucas said, you know, something about that too. But, you know, Miguel Cairo reminds us every chance he gets that the season's not over and uh, stranger things have happened and that kind of thing. I don't think anybody really outside of this building is, is really listening to that or cares about that explanation. But Lucas did talk about the offseason and talk about, you know, that he has a lot of work to do, that this is a very important offseason for him. He's got to get back to work. I mean, he's a guy who has been visibly frustrated with how his entire season has gone. Uh, so this is nothing new, him knowing that it has to get better, that he has to figure something out. Um, I guess the idea now is that he is going to have several straight months uh, with which to figure things out so he can come back and be a lot, lot better uh, next season. That's That's what he said tonight. Yeah, I want to update people because the Guardians game did go final 6-3. to three. They defeat the Rangers, so the Sox are now eight games back. Not mathematically eliminated, but still only one game above 500. The Guardians are now 84-67. and 67. I don't think the White Sox will finish with 84 wins. Um, so again, we can effectively put the final nail in the coffin in the White Sox season. Uh, was that really the tone that Miguel Cairo struck tonight? Was that it's not really over? I mean, I don't know how emphatically he might have been uh, up there championing that point, but... Um, what else, what other point are you going to champion, I guess? Yeah, he basically does say that pretty adamantly. And he has ever since the loss on Tuesday night in that first game of that series against the guardians, uh, you know, he was saying it again today, just because we lost three in a row. Doesn't mean the season's over. If things, something like that, you know, obviously he's talking mathematical. And so if that's the way you want to be technical about it, then yeah, he's right. But, um, certainly we, we all know what the situation is. And I think everybody in that clubhouse does too, uh, the way they've, um, acted and, and spoke about their frustration and, and kind of where the season is here in the final days. But, um, you know, good, good job for Miguel Cairo, I guess, to try and, you know, make sure that everybody is playing as professionally and as positively as possible over the last couple of weeks. And I just wonder how he will do that. Like, how he will judge, like, if a player is giving maximum effort, if a player is still out there, you know, because he's still getting paid, if the player is not just going, going through the motions and waiting for the three hours to be over with. Is there any indication that he might, you know, uh, pull a player if he doesn't see a quality effort out of him? 
He brought up the other day. He brought up the the, the the speech that he gave the night that you know the night that Tony left and the night that they lost to the Royals. And he goes, "I've already told them. I've already said to them, you know, that if if they don't want to be here, they can go." Kind of thing like that. So um, he's been extraordinarily complimentary. Oh boy, that was a hard phrase to say. He's been extraordinarily complimentary of what his players have done over the last few days, which obviously. You know, fans are not going to agree because of what the results were. But Miguel talking about uh, the the fight that they've shown and the the effort that they've put forth, he's been happy with it, uh, at least vocally to us. So, um, you know, he doesn't seem like anybody who's going to specifically call anybody out if they don't do something. Um, so there's that. But, uh, you know, we can only go by what he's said. And he has said that uh, he has been pleased with how hard his team was has been playing and, uh, you know, uh, I, I think I think fans are very uh, results biased and results oriented, and they see a team that goes out there and can't you know can't score any runs against whether it be Tristan McKenzie or Shane Bieber or even uh, tonight against the Detroit Tigers, and they say, oh, they're lifeless. They didn't have any heart. They didn't play hard at all. I'm guessing that Miguel Cairo has been around enough baseball that he is uh, judging on a bit of a different scale than you know the number of runs on the board and the the number of uh, games in the win column. I want to circle back a little bit to uh, Lucas Giolito. Did he talk about what work he might look to do in the offseason or how important it will be to be able to talk to Ethan Katz during this offseason? Because that's what Herb and I were talking about was just the fact that he wasn't able to talk to Ethan last offseason due to the, um, the the lockout. And as Modern Guru points out in the chat here, Lucas gained 25 pounds of weight in the offseason. He said he was so pissed off and frustrated about the lockout that he just looked to working out and lifting weights as that method. Um, and we did know that it kind of threw off his mechanics. He's heard his uh, oblique in the first start against the Tigers and he wasn't really the same since. Um, he made, obviously, a mechanical adjustment tonight, so maybe he's figuring stuff out in this later spot. But did he talk about what work he might be looking to do in the offseason? He didn't get into specifics this evening, obviously. You know, he kind of colored it in, in terms of, like, finishing out this season and moving forward. Um, but, I mean, it, that's something that, uh, whether it be Rick Hahn or Ethan Katz or any number of the pitchers on this team, these guys have been talking about since spring training, you know, that the lockout wasn't able to uh, uh, allow that the lockout did not allow them to communicate, to work together, because we know just by going back one year, how important uh, Ethan Katz talking to Dylan Cease and talking to Carlos Rodon was for those two guys. Uh, you know, we, we heard that uh, Katz had plans in place with both of them shortly after he got the job. And I think that uh, being able to communicate, even though it was, you know, uh, still COVID times and it maybe had to be over the phone and over, you know, uh, digital means, uh, it really, really worked out for those guys and it really benefited them. Uh, and and it's, it was cited this year, uh, early this year, as a real negative, a real downside to the lockout from a pitching development kind of standpoint. So uh, this is the guy who's turned Lucas Giolito's career around before, um, it would not surprise me if being able to work closely with him again would could do the same thing. Of course, he's been working closely with him this entire season, but perhaps uh, a little easier maybe to make uh, changes, big changes in the offseason than it is on the fly during the year. Is there any indication of uh, what's going to happen with Michael Kopech since they are not in uh, the playoff contention anymore? Is it uh, just a shutdown for him, a shutdown for Tim Anderson, um, kind of a quasi-shutdown for uh, Luis Robert as far as them coming back as a full-time participant of these White Sox? Uh, as far as Tim Anderson goes, the hope still, according to Miguel Cairo, is that he'll be back before the end of the year. Um, now, I think, you know, 
we're asking him this on a daily basis, and I'm not quite sure how much is changing on a daily basis uh, in terms of how much he is getting toward that 100% that both he, Tim, and the White Sox want him to be at before coming back to start playing games. Um, Miguel said that it would certainly be beneficial for him to be able to play games before the season's out, Um, but he has to be at 100%. And uh, there's only a few days left in the minor league season. They still don't know if he's going to be able to go down and, and, and kind of be ready in time to have a rehab assignment um, of, of even just a game or two. Uh, you know, I think that that is not quite as dependent on the calendar as people might think it seems, you know what I mean? I I think that it's kind of a thing where if this was June, it would maybe take the exact same amount of time, but nobody would be like, oh, shut him down, you know, kind of thing. It's just that the days are running out and, you know, he might only get back with three days left in the season, who knows? Or maybe none, you know, that possibility I think exists, but certainly Miguel Cairo has been nothing but hopeful in talking about him getting back before the season's over. Uh, Kopech, I think it was kind of a question when he was put on the injured list, you know, that he maybe probably wouldn't pitch again this year. Um, I think he wanted to, if I remember reading the comments when that happened, they were on the road. I believe that he wanted to, to try to get back in time, but uh, I haven't seen him around, to be quite honest with you. So I, I don't know um, what what's really going on there. Uh, I, I would imagine he will probably not pitch again this year. That's kind of what it sounded like when he first went on the injured list. And Luis Robert is just going to keep on doing what he's been doing. You know, I think he's going to keep every few days. He'll probably be in the lineup. Then he'll get sore from swinging a bat and he won't be in the lineup the next couple of days. So I really think that's kind of how it's just going to go with him. Uh, It's, it's weird. I agree at this point, you know what I mean? I think people got really worked up all year long with the whole, why aren't they putting guys on the IL sooner thing that everybody kind of became the boy who cried. Why didn't they put him on the IL sooner? Um, But in this very specific case, I think I got to agree. It's just strange to see a guy every three days or so go out there and then have the exact same problems that he can't work through um, with, with the season where it's at right now. I'm believe me, I'm sure I am a hundred percent positive that Luis Robert really wants to play in these games and really wants to give what he can to this team. Uh, But you know, you're talking about a guy who is maybe one of the best all around players on your team and he's being limited to a pinch runner right now. Last thing I got for you, Vinny in the pregame, Sean and I were talking about, the uncertainty of Jose Abreu coming back for next year. And I don't know if you have a solidified answer for this, if the White Sox have put out a press release, but what would your, be your guess on the last game they're playing versus the Minnesota Twins? Do you think the White Sox will do something special for Jose Abreu, which might be his last home game in front of these White Sox fans? I mean, right now, I nobody has said that he wouldn't be back on the team next year, right? I mean, obviously there was talk in spring training kind of just, and not even really talk more so just uncertainty about what his future was going to hold. Obviously he knows the status of his contract, but you know, made it seem like maybe if it wasn't, if it, it, there was maybe as good a chance that he would just flat out retire as there was that he would play for another team as there was that he would come back to the White Sox. So I think it was more uncertainty and that's what we've got right now is uncertainty with, with what Abreu is going to be doing in 2023. Um, It is likely that he will, talk again before the end of the year and I'm sure he'll be asked that question um 
judging from what Abreu has said in the past in, in other situations about other topics, uh, it's probably going to be something along the lines of, you know, me and my family will discuss it and we'll come up with the best decision for me. But um, this is a guy who has proven that he can still produce. There's no doubt about that. And so, uh, you know, some some people just, you know, we know the kind of beating that he takes. We know the kind of uh, – um, ability that he has to play in basically every game all year long, certainly that could catch up to you. And even if you are still hitting, maybe that's something that forces your hand. But um, right now, a whole lot of I don't know. And I think to uh, to suggest that the last game of this season, before we learn otherwise, would be his last in a White Sox uniform, uh, You just there's no way you could do that right now. Uh, one more Jose Abreu question for you. Uh, he had one hit tonight, went one for five, but Bo Bichette had two uh, two hits. So if you're looking at the hit champion for the AL, Abreu now at 176, Bichette at 175. I don't know if there's much chatter about this in the, the locker room, but is this something, I mean, this is the, the probably the one thing I'm watching for the rest of the year. Um, along with this, is there anything else that maybe you're watching for in the last 11 games here? From an on-the-field standpoint, yeah, I mean... You know, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, I think the starting pitchers is probably going to have uh, capture a lot of interest. Uh, you know, Dylan Cease is going to finish somewhere in the Cy Young vote, and certainly that uh, that place could be affected by how he does over the last little bit. Just looking at the uh, schedule and the calendar, they got an off day on Monday, and I wonder, you know, he's going to pitch Sunday here against uh, Detroit. Uh, do they – move things around a bit. So uh, he goes on regular rest using that off day in the first game of the Padres series, which would then allow him to pitch the season finale here at guaranteed rate field. That's maybe something right there that could, uh, you know, put on a nice show for the fans with the guy who's been probably the brightest spot for this team this year. Um, in, in terms of the other stuff though, I mean, we talked about it last night. I think there's a lot of guys who uh, are, are not necessarily playing for a job but because they are under contract for next year and because they are uh, a part of these plans moving forward but um you know they talk about ending on a positive note and uh, if they uh really want to gain any scrap of momentum heading into next year then that's what they can do but certainly the way they've played the last four days uh would not indicate that that is uh, uh terribly uh realistic uh, especially going up against a, uh, a San Diego team in there that is, uh, uh, you know, fight, playing for the playoffs. So hey, It's still early. They're not mathematically eliminated, Vinny. Um, final thing here, uh, Albert Pujols said his 700th home run today, also his 699th home run today. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Uh, Herb was talking about how Frank Thomas is so much better than Albert so Pujols much better, here. Just better. Um, so I don't know if you have any comments here, uh, but uh, yeah, Albert with his 700th. Well, it's funny. I mean, you know, when people, t you know, Herb, you, you bring that up, uh, you know, most of Frank Thomas's career, I was a, a little kid, you know what I mean? His heyday, I was a, a small kid who wasn't watching baseball, you know, because I had, you know, coloring books to fill in or something like that. But uh, I have watched basically all of Albert Pujols's career. And uh, so to say that, uh, you know, he is now in the 700 home run club is basically a uh, reflection of the dominance that he's had for the large portion of that career. Obviously, you know, he was a much different hitter during his heyday in St. Louis than he was once he went out to Anaheim. Uh, but I remember watching an awful lot of games. You know, they 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 were the rival of the other team in town. And, uh, you know, those games were on often. And uh, he was pretty much always delivering a big blow, one big blow or another. Uh, so this is obviously, you know, 
no, there's no doubt about it that he is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Uh, and this is just a friendly reminder tonight that uh, that those of us who have been paying attention for the last 20 years or so uh, have been able to watch basically every minute of it. Absolutely. Thank you, Vinny, for joining us from Guaranteed Ray Field. You can follow our CHGO White Sox beat writer at Vinny Duber on Twitter. Thank you very much, Vinny. We'll talk to you on Sunday? Yep. Yeah. Monday? Okay. All right. Sunday. We'll talk to you on Sunday. We'll talk to you on Sunday. We do have an off day show on Monday too. So uh, we'll be in studio talking about those socks and uh, maybe we'll talk about Dylan Cease and uh, what his season may look like. I do like that Vinny brought that up, possibly them moving that around for him. And we'll talk about Jose Abreu as well and uh, his chase to become the AL hit champion. Herb, I don't have much left for tonight. I was mainly just focused on Lucas Giolito and outside of that, eh, nothing really caught my eye in today's game. Yeah, and there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing to look for in these games. I'm only looking for effort, just like my guy Steven. But Steven's looking with a little bit more eagle eye. He's like, that guy's not hustling. That guy's not hustling. That guy's not I'm hustling. I'm specifically a, looking for the guy's not hustling. He's a yeah. he is an old man in a, what, 29-year-old yeah. man's I'm body. I'm a curmudgeon, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, in my day, these guys used to hustle. And me <laughs> and Steve Stone are thinking the same. That's all. Oh, man, yeah. He wants to tear down the entire franchise. Hey, quit being and, bitter over there, huh? And build it on hustle. <laughs> hey, he's, he's not enjoying the ride. Steve Stone doesn't sound like a ride enjoyer to me. But uh, that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, this is going to be one of the shorter CHGO White Sox post games, just because when you lose to the Tigers this late in the season. What else is there to talk about? What is, what is there to talk about? Yeah, uh, Steven's only 29. Oh, Steven's, Steven's signaling me a break. Uh, we do have to break. That is true. Uh, we'll give you one more break, Steven. How about that? We'll tell you about Pins and Aces. It's probably because Steven's such a big golf guy. Pins big and Aces is the guy, official yeah. golf apparel partner of CHGO. He loves his Pins and Aces gear, and he gets a ton of compliments on and off the course. He's constantly wearing his Pins and Aces gear into the, uh, into the office, and I just feel the need to tell him, hey, Steve, even you look great in your pins and aces gear. I think he's just starting to wear the stuff into the office to get the compliments. I think it's more of a self ego thing, but it's true. He looks great in them. You know, he can either be wearing his a lot, uh, you know, his uh, ISU, you know, college, you know, shirts, or he can be wearing his pins and aces stuff. He looks much sharper in the pins and aces stuff because pins and aces is a family owned golf and apparel business. They're hand stitching these I think I think that was what I, I, I heard um, very good quality material very good uh, and they make amazing polos hats golf bags and even our favorite beer sleeve it's an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag and keep drinks cold for the entire round so you get seven beers for the front nine seven beers for the back nine 14 beers 18 holes that sounds like great Chicago math for me my friends so check out pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. So go to, again, pinsandaces.com. Use code CHGO to get 15% off your first order and free shipping. If I told you about a beer sleeve and I told you you can get 15% off that beer sleeve, why aren't you on pinsandaces.com? That's going to wrap it up, though. Uh, that is Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ecknerwall23. That's yep. Les Grobstein. Sky Point to the yep. great uh, Les Grobber Grobstein. And I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. No, you're not. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're a bobblehead. That was, that was actually his voice. <laughs> that was his voice. Uh, that's a bobblehead. Uh, and Vinny Duber joined us from Guaranteed Rate Field. You can follow him on uh, Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO 
beat writer for the Chicago White Sox. Thank you to 29-year-old Stephen Nicholas for producing the show, and thank you to Fleetwood Mac's 1979 album, Tusk. We will talk to you on Sunday to preview and recap the finale of the Detroit Tigers and White Sox series. We'll talk to you on Sunday. Go Sox.